0: This is the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. What's in a name? Well, everything, apparently. In the story of Rumpelstiltskin by the Brothers Grimm, a miller's daughter is locked in a room and tasked with spinning straw into gold, which, if she does, the king will take her as wife. An impossible task, for sure, to accomplish. But appearing to her behind the locked doors is a little imp. Now this little imp, he promises to complete the task of spinning straw into gold for her, if only she will give to him her firstborn child when the task is complete. Well, desperate, she vows to the imp to give him her firstborn. So the imp follows through, and the straw is turned to gold, and the miller's daughter marries the king. After the first child is born, the imp returns to claim his payment. The miller's daughter, now the queen, offers him all the wealth that she has to keep the child. Well, the imp finally agrees to give up his claim to the child, if she can guess his name within three days. The queen guesses and guesses, but to no avail. But before the deadline, she wanders into the woods and stumbles upon the imp, watching from a distance unseen as the imp hops about his fire and sings, Tonight, tonight, my plans I make, tomorrow, tomorrow, the baby I take. The queen will never win the game, for Rumpelstiltskin is my name. Aha, she knows the name. The mystery is revealed and knowing the name breaks the deal and they all, except Rumpelstiltskin, live happily ever after. In the fairy tale, there is the mystery of the name, but there is no mystery about the name in this section of the book of Acts. The name of Jesus is at the forefront of the conversation. A noteworthy miracle has taken place right at the temple precinct. A lame man has been healed and the crowd is in awe Peter and John, through whom the miracle was administered, point to Jesus, giving him all the glory, saying, Don't look to us, look to him, to Jesus. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. And now the religious leaders arrive on the scene, not fans of all that is taking place, and they attempt to silence the name of Jesus. But there is power in his name, and it will not be silenced. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Peter and John were just going about their business previously, headed into the temple at the hour of prayer, just wanted to spend some time with Jesus, had some prayer requests they needed to get off their chest. And there was a divine interruption when a lame man asked for alms, but silver and gold they did not have. But the man looked at them and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, they commanded him to get up and walk. And the man's ankles and legs received strength. And there he was walking and leaping and praising God. The crowd has been all ears in the wake of the miracle, listening as Peter tells them that Jesus, who they agreed to crucify, was indeed the sent Messiah long foretold, but God was willing to forgive them and salvation was available in his name. Now cue the religious leaders, who by now have been made aware of the commotion in the temple that was stirred by this healing and Peter's preaching that followed. We see in Acts 4, verses 1-4. through Now, as they spoke to the people, that's Peter and John, the priests, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. As Peter and John spoke to the people, here come the religious leaders, greatly disturbed that they are preaching about Jesus. In this scene, I imagine the bad guy music playing. In movies, when the bad guys enter the scene, they have their theme music. It's called leitmotif, when filmmakers use theme music when the different characters are on screen. I personally think of Star Wars and the foreboding music to go along with the evil empire when their star cruisers come on the scene or Darth Vader shows up. Dum, dum, da dum, dum, da dum, dum, da dum. I mean, you know things are not going to go well in this moment because of that theme music. Well, Axe does not reference any theme music, but a whole entourage shows up on the scene right now and they're not happy. It's the priests. The ones who were in charge of the temple, performing the sacrifices and the supposed spiritual heads of the nation. The captain of the temple's there, the security force of all, uh, for any skirmishes at the temple. So there is concern that something is about to go down here. And the Sadducees, the Jewish ruling class, a wealthy religious and political group that had a lot of influence in all things Jewish though they did not necessarily believe in any afterlife, in the supernatural, in angels, and certainly not in a resurrection. So the fact that Peter is preaching about a resurrection, they are really perturbed when they get on the scene. And this seems to be one of their points of the contention. They came upon them, being greatly disturbed, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening the word for greatly disturbed can also mean to be worked up these guys are not just coming out of curiosity they're coming to put their foot down to put a stop to it and they march in there lay hands on them physically grab them they apprehend them i imagine an episode of the tv show cops not sure if it's still in the air or not not sure how physical it got in this scene but you can imagine the crowd there listening intently to what Peter and John were saying, hanging on every word, totally engaged and tracking and listening and watching, and boom, break up the party, laying hands on them and put them in custody. What a contrast in response. The people wanted to listen, eager to hear, and they wanted it silenced to put a stop to it, this group that just walks in. When God is doing a work, the enemy will always be near, wanting to rob and to steal, to put an end to it, To distract from it to pull away from it we are in a spiritual battle and the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy and on the heels of this great miracle and this powerful sermon here is this attempt to uproot in silence jesus talked about the sower going to scatter the seed which is the word of god and that immediately the birds of the air would come to eat up the seed that fell along the hard path And Jesus told his disciples that this was the devil who would come to take away what was sown before it has the chance to bear fruit. So this group of religious leaders, though well-intentioned in their own minds, thinking they are doing their duty in preserving the spiritual integrity of the kingdom, are actually working on the wrong side at this point, working against the things that God is trying to do. We do need to be careful at times, that in our own convictions or our own insecurities or our own carnality, that we don't work against what the Lord is trying to do. Sometimes even in our own affections, we can deter people from doing what God wants because it may be hard for us or inconvenience us. How many have discouraged a loved one from pursuing the call of God upon their lives because it might mean that they have to move far away to serve Jesus, or it could cost them the opportunities or financial gain or reputation that they had maybe hoped for their loved one. And in their carnal thinking, they're dissuaded from doing something that requires sacrifice to serve God. Personal affections and even selfish motivations getting in the way of the things that God might want to do. Even Peter did this himself when he tried to dissuade Jesus from going the hard route to the cross, to which Jesus famously replied, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. These religious leaders are totally well-intentioned, convinced that they're doing right, but they're actually wrong, working against the things of God. But God's word never returns void. Think about Paul. He even did the same thing. He is, is part of this religious group. He may even have been there at that time. But later on in the books, book of Acts, when, when he is convinced that these Christians, that they're doing wrong, he's going from house to house, taking them off, carting them off, convinced that he's doing the right thing until he is struck by that bright light on the road to Damascus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was totally in the wrong, just like these men are here right here at this temple this day. And the people in the temple precincts have already heard the truth of the gospel. And many in the crowd had hearts that were fruitful soil. And we read, however, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Many who heard, believed. The word which they heard, they responded to it in faith, placing their trust and belief that Jesus does indeed save even people like them. And the church population jumped in numbers that day. It says the number of men came to be about 5,000. On Pentecost, we read that 3,000 got saved, giving their lives to Jesus. And now we read about 5,000. Some think at this point the number jumped to 5,000, a pretty, pretty big increase, a growing church. Others think that this day alone, that 5,000 people got saved. Either way, the Lord knew who in the crowd responded, and the number is recorded here. People can get saved all the time. People do get saved all the time. But the follow-up is extremely important, lest they fall through the cracks. Or never take root and grow. Or as we read earlier, Satan comes and steals the seed. But not sure if they had response cards that day at the temple. Or if those who made decisions to follow Jesus made their way to the front and met with a counselor for instructions on their next steps to receive some gift in a Bible. But Paul wrote this to Timothy in his second epistle. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows who is on the roster. And those who do should depart from their iniquity and start living for Jesus. It'd be interesting to know the metrics used to measure the 5,000 number. But the Holy Spirit speaks truth, and it is a growing church. So Peter and John had spent the night then in in custody. They never returned that evening from the time of prayer at the temple, but I bet they did a lot of praying that night. Prayers of thanksgiving and for God doing the miracle in their midst. Prayers of praise as the father had given them words to share with the crowd. Prayers of rejoicing for the Lord, preparing the hearts and the crowd responding. Prayers of intercession for the new believers who responded to the message and prayers of supplication for how to handle the situation with the religious leaders and for wisdom and words to say. We're to pray at all times with all kinds of prayers, with supplications, with thanksgiving, with praise, with repentance. We're always to pray. We read Acts 4 verses 5 through 7. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked by what power, or by what name have you done this? A whole bunch of them in this entourage. This was the who's who's of the religious circle showing up the next day. They've had time to gather at Jerusalem. I imagine the scene, how intimidating. The Galilean fishermen brought in the center of this hearing, and they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? A legitimate question. In fact, it is scriptural according to their law. Deuteronomy 13 instructed this if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass. So breaking it down, if a miracle took place, they needed to look into it a bit more and find out what the person said about what took place. Now reading on in Deuteronomy 13, of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve those other gods. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So breaking it down again, Deuteronomy 13, if a miracle is done and they try to use it to legitimize another God pointing to another God and saying some other force or power had done this, then you're to ignore them. It's a trap. There are spiritual forces out there in opposition to God. And Satan is okay if you worship something as long as it is not the true God. So there are lying signs and wonders to try and draw people away to worship or believe something that is not true. Deuteronomy 13 told them that this might be a test so to make sure to discern where they are pointing and giving the glory to. The Old Testament law goes on saying this, you shall walk after the Lord, your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, but, and here was the punishment. If someone did a miracle and attributed it to somewhere else other than God, this is what it said to do. That prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. Man, they took it seriously. Purge the false prophet or miracle worker, someone who had some spiritual power but pointed somewhere else. And so that's their question here this day in Acts chapter four for Peter and John. By what power or by what name have you done this? So there's a lot riding on how Peter and John answer. I mean, if you think about it, if they're pointing to Jesus doing this miracle, then the implications are is that Jesus is God, which is really going to throw these religious leaders for a loop because they actually put Jesus to death. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was God. So they're kind of backed into a corner. What do they do? Peter, in himself, does not know what to do, which is encouraging for us too. Maybe you found yourself in a critical moment, not sure what to do, how to respond, what next step to take. God has not given us a roadmap for our lives, and we often come to places that we feel a bit stuck. James, in his epistle, gave this advice. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without a reproach, and it will be given to him. When we find ourselves not sure what to do, we are to look to the Lord. It becomes an opportunity to reestablish a connection, to have to reach out to him. Of course, we often try to figure it out on our own, our own wisdom, our own resources, our own strength. But perhaps it was designed to get us to press in to God. So the Lord meets Peter in this moment, right here in the hearing. We read Acts 4 verses 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter's response is articulate, it is bold, and it is clear. And it all begins with verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, The word filled there implies they're being filled in that very moment. Though Peter and the disciples were filled on the day of Pentecost already previously, God's gift to the church poured out upon the believers, the Holy Spirit fills Peter in this moment for the need of this occasion and gives him exactly what he needs in that moment. Jesus had vowed to Peter and the others that he would not leave them as orphans, that he would not abandon them, but that he would accompany them. And Peter finds that in this moment, the Holy Spirit shows up to help in this situation. No doubt fulfilling what the psalmist expressed in Psalm 46.10, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Think about your day today. How might things have gone differently had you taken a moment prior to acting, before responding, in advance of speaking, asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit for whatever was about to happen? How desperately we need and the world needs for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Probably the most untapped resource of the church throughout history. Much of what has taken place limited to what man could do in God's name, rather than letting God work by his spirit in and through man. And since Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit prior to speaking, the response he gave there in custody was articulate, it was bold, it was clear, and it was effective. Peter said, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Notice even in this. Peter, though inconvenienced and disrespected, having been held overnight by this group, he still spoke respectfully to them, being about to show kindness and respect rather than lashing out, trying to demean them or any other combination of carnal response for all that they had put him through. Peter is clothed with humility because the Spirit is upon him in this moment, respecting even the positions that they have, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Maybe it's something that Peter himself thought of later when he wrote in his first epistle, chapter 5, verse 5, where he says, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's amazing how our responses change when we are filled with the Spirit. We can try to discipline our tongues, but out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. And only when we are under the leading of the Spirit do we notice how we speak changes, as well as what we speak changes. Clothed in humility, Peter spoke clearly these words. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter is not backing down. With this captive audience, he wants to make it clear that it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that the man had been healed and made whole. During Jesus' life, they often doubted, asking whether the Christ would even come out of Galilee. Peter reminds them that this was the doing of the carpenter from Nazareth, so belittled and rejected in their own power circles, but now the one there doing what they had no power to do, a man standing before them whole, a man that they had walked by the length of most of their entire careers at the temple, but Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that is the name of the man who did it. Peter quotes from Psalm 118, one that would have been quoted at the very feast of Passover at which Jesus was put on the cross. The verse says this, the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, with Peter implying it to Jesus. The most important piece of the architecture, rejected in the kingdom that they were building, but most important in all that God was building. Notice so far in the ministry of Peter that none of the doors that had been opened to him to share and minister were doors that he sought or doors that he had opened. The day of Pentecost. The spirit fell, the crowd gathered, and Peter opened his mouth. He didn't arrange that whole thing. The lame man healed. Peter and John were just headed to prayer. The preaching about what happened in that healing 5,000 saved, no flyers or posters put up, nothing spent on the advertising budget for that outreach, and yet a huge impact. And now Peter was not summoned, he has not summoned all the religious leaders of Israel together to speak to them. He has not organized some summit for high-ranking officials, but all of the most influential people of the Jewish people were gathered there, and it was all there ready for Peter. Peter took every open door that was presented to him, and God blessed those open doors. Blessed Peter with the filling of the Spirit each time he stepped out in faith when those opportunities came. We won't always have the words beforehand, or the plan in place, or know what to do. But if we will take the open doors as God gives them to us, realize in those moments this is an open door from the Lord, and just be filled with the Spirit and open our mouths, we will be surprised what the Lord might do in those situations. You do not need to have the whole script. You just need to start, and the word will come. Jesus had told the apostles that something like what Peter's experiencing this moment would come back in Mark chapter 13 but when they arrest you and deliver you up do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak but whatever is given to you in that hour speak that for it is not you who speak but the holy spirit god will present to us open doors that we did not seek and we should be willing and asking and yielding for such opportunities and the lord will get right in on the action giving us what to say when we just start speaking I imagine Peter does not know how long he has to keep talking before they try to shut him down. So he focuses on the name of Jesus again, giving this declaration of truth without being at all ambiguous. Acts 4 verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus saves. We cannot be saved in our own name as we boast of our good deeds somehow outweighing our bad. We cannot be saved in the name of our heritage that somehow we come from a familial or national or cultural background that has an inroad to salvation with God. We cannot be saved in the name of any other teacher or person or prophet or church or religious system or so called God for all of them fall short only in the name of Jesus can we be saved and we must be saved. People cry out against the exclusivity and the narrow-mindedness of this claim, but what people should really focus on is the fact that there is any way to be saved. It's important to know the right name. I took a group of students to a service project during the school day, and afterward we stopped at a local burger place to grab a bite to eat. As we finished ordering at the counter and waited at our tables for them to bring out our food, I noticed in the corner of the restaurant a banner for a local sports radio station. One that my wife listens to all the time driving home from work in the afternoons. And she's pretty devoted. Gets into the commentary they're giving about the headlines and happenings of the week. She's even called in before to ask a question and get their perspective. On a few occasions, she has been listening in the middle of a good segment and pulled in the driveway, only to sit out in the car for a bit until the segment is over. Totally confusing me as to why she already pulled in the driveway but never made it inside. Well, there at the burger restaurant was a banner for the radio station, and one of their radio personalities was doing a live broadcast from the restaurant. I kind of put two and two together because on the few occasions that I have been driving with my wife while she's been listening to the afternoon show, they're always broadcasting from some random place like a casino, or you can hear the slots and jackpots going on in the background, or a car dealership that they keep mentioning, or the fairgrounds or something of that sort. Well, on this day, they were broadcasting live from that burger place. Now, my wife was out of town at a conference, but I got up and headed over to snap a picture, first of the banner, but then of the DJ who was broadcasting. He was off air, so I approached him just to say hi and tell him that my wife is a listener. But in that moment, I realized I had no idea what the name of the DJs were. And since the radio is definitely different from TV and you often do not have a clue what they look like, just familiar with what they sound like, I had no idea what to say when I started saying, hey, are you so-and-so from the Sports Animal? But I had already engaged. I had already made eye contact. The DJ was already getting up from the table since he was off air on a break in broadcasting. And I kind of felt like a fool, no clue what names to start dropping to ask, Hey, are you so-and-so? Are you this DJ? So I just said, Hey, uh, my wife listens to your station all the time which they were pretty pleased with. They even grabbed my phone to take a picture to send her, said they love hearing about their female listening base on this sports radio station. You know, even when he gave his name to me, I nodded like I knew, but I was clueless. When I sent my wife the photo, she seemed to know the guy, even though the one broadcasting was not the one from the afternoon drive show that she listens to. This guy was the lunchtime guy and my bad, but trying to be a good husband, I felt pretty silly. Approaching someone, and I did not know their name. I didn't even know how to start the conversation or address them by name. It's been years, so it's kind of foggy, but I remember a commercial in Hawaii in the eighties. And this lady said something that saw someone that she recognized, like a famous person or something. And she said, hey, you somebody, eh? Noting in her pigeon dialect that she recognized the person, but could not quite place them. We've all been there, like seeing a famous person in public, but you cannot figure out who it is or what they're known for. But you know, they have to be somebody. Hey, you somebody, eh? Jesus is indeed recognizable in much of the world and society. People know him, recognize him, but can't quite place just how important he is. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. You better know him and recognize him. But even more so, put your faith in him. Because there is not salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How unfortunate it will be on that day to hear some stand before Jesus, and know they recognize him but say, "Eh, you somebody, eh? To them, Jesus will respond, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We also have to be careful, too, that it's not just the name Jesus, but the Jesus, the biblical Jesus, the historical Jesus. Some groups even preach the name of Jesus, but when you get down to it and look at it, it's actually a different Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the gospel i have students sometimes who have the same name maybe they've been a couple years have passed but a new group of students come and i get a student with the exact same name we usually figure this out when we create email addresses for them at the school when the email address is tried to be created the system pops back and say there's already someone who had that name and then i look back and i think yes that was a student who graduated three years ago they're no longer even in school it's the same name but it's not the same person Same thing when people start talking about Jesus. There's people who think of Jesus as a great teacher, or Jesus as a a guru, or Jesus as the half-brother of Satan. These are not the biblical Jesus. We have to be careful which Jesus is being taught, and which Jesus we're putting our faith in. Now, Peter has given them some things to chew on, and we read verses 13 through 17 in Acts 4. It says now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they had been that they were uneducated and untrained men they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them they could say nothing against it but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council they conferred among themselves saying what shall we do to these men for indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. This elite group of men is somewhat taken aback. They notice just how bold Peter and John were, not backing down in the fact of their authority, not intimidated by this gathering. Surely these country fishermen from Galilee should be cowering and backpedaling, being reprimanded by the religious authority, right? I mean, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Well, at least in their prescribed avenues of education and training. They'd not been invited to study in their prestigious religious schools. They were just tradesmen from the look down upon region of Galilee. But they marveled. Where did they get this boldness? And then they realized it. These men had been with Jesus. Something that they had seen in Jesus, they now saw in these men. It had rubbed off on his disciples. They thought that they had eradicated this whole movement when they agreed to put Jesus to death, but now they realized that these men had been with Jesus. Some takeaways. The more time that we spend with Jesus, the more we become like him. Just like hanging out with people in your life makes you more like them. So spending time with Jesus in devotion and prayer and worship and service and fellowship, those things will help make us more like Jesus. The religious leaders noticed it. These men have been with Jesus because they are reminding us an awful lot of him. Another takeaway. The Lord uses those who have been with Jesus, despite lack of education and training. The biggest requirement that God looks for. Have they walked with Jesus? Those who know Jesus closely and intimately are used by Jesus powerfully, his life flowing through their lives. There's an old adage and it goes like this, seminary, cemetery. Sometimes passionate followers or or, or leaders head into the more academic pursuit of their faith. And for many, they're not quite the same afterward. Sure, they may have more knowledge in some things, but the simple relationship that they had with Jesus, a relationship that had been so fruitful, a closeness with Jesus that was evident, one that Jesus was able to use powerfully as they walked with him. Sometimes the intellectual pursuit deadens the relationship and something goes missing that was once there. Now, it doesn't happen all the time. If God's calling to someone to pursue that education, great, but they do need to guard their heart that they don't lose their first love. Jesus's life flows through our lives when we are rightly related to him. And these men were still walking with Jesus. They recognize that they had been with Jesus, but they're still with Jesus. They had been with Jesus that morning. They had been with Jesus as they set out for the temple. They had been with Jesus when they healed the man. They had been with Jesus when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke to them, to this group of religious leaders. The Jesus problem that they thought they had solved by putting him on the cross is not going away. In fact, they note in private in their executive session that it's getting worse. Now, all of Jerusalem is aware of it this day because of the miracle of the lame man walking and leaping and praising God. So what do they do? the only thing that they know how, they try to pull out their power trip card. It says, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. They tell them that they cannot speak the name of Jesus. They've recognized that there was power in the name. So let us make them cut out Jesus, center Jesus from their speech, from their conversations, from the public square, from our society. Oh, how wrong man goes when Jesus is cut out of anything. We only need to watch the news to see the impact daily, but that is the approach that they take that day there in Jerusalem. You can no longer mention Jesus or else. Their plan does not fly, verses 18 through 22. So they called called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. How intimidating to be called into the principal's office per se and scolded and told not to teach any more in the name of Jesus. There was a lot of or else going on in this conversation, meaning they could not do anything to them in that moment. But the threats about what could happen, a lot of what ifs with a goal to intimidate to silence the world and our enemy play by this rule book all the time to silence his people from speaking the name of jesus the only name that can save anyone is the name that has been so become so offensive and as his people we are continually asked to be silent not to speak the truth but paul told us in ephesians to speak the truth in love and peter and john have this same response Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which have been seen and heard. These men, though threatened and intimidated, said they could not not speak about Jesus about all that they had seen and heard. And they answered to a higher authority, to God. Well, as believers, we are to submit to the governing authority. Scripture tells us. When the governing authorities are contradicting what God would have us do, there may be times for some civil disobedience. Of course, there could be consequences from those authorities that they have determined and set in place, but they will answer to God for those, especially if it stands in the way of God's people testifying of him, or worshipping him, or serving him. How easy it would have been to just comply. But Peter and John knew in the sight of God that they could not agree, because they answered to him, they were responsible to him. And the Lord had sent them out to be witnesses, to speak of the things of Jesus. I mean, even this day, look at how fruitful it was. 5,000 were saved by this point. What a powerful testimony and encouragement to them to keep speaking. Oh, the enemy will do all that he can to silence followers of Jesus. Threaten, intimidate, shame, mock, humiliate, belittle, call light dark and dark light. But it is because even the demons believe in Jesus and shudder, the enemy knows that there is no other name that can save. So he seeks to silence those who bear the name of Jesus and speak the name of Jesus. We think, though, that we can't do what Peter and John did that day. We're not sure that we can speak up if needed. Well, remember, it told us that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. Peter in himself may have been intimidated or discouraged or fearful, but in the Spirit, a boldness that allowed him to step out in faith, to trust Jesus. He opened up his mouth wide and God filled it with exactly what he needed to say. In much of the West, most of our intimidation comes with our social or political ramifications. But being threatened for standing up for Jesus is very real in many parts of the world even today. I read an article in The Voice of Martyrs magazine about a believer in Tanzania. He had grown up a nominal Christian, his wife a nominal Muslim, but shortly after they were married, a pastor came to their door and invited them to church. Despite heavy downpours that Sunday, they went to church anyway. They heard the message, and God touched their hearts, and they became devoted followers of Jesus. A few years later, this man and other believers from the church began nightly prayer watches at the church, and the local Muslim community took notice of their prayer meetings. Though Tanzania is a majority Christian in that town near the Ugandan border, radical Muslims near the area would at times exert their influence on the local mosque. One day at the mosque, a swarm of bees filled the building and disrupted the service, and some of the Muslims blamed the praying Christians for the insect invasion, saying that the praying Christian followers or Christ followers had cursed the mosque, and some turned to violence. That night, as the Tanzanian man and his friend were praying in the church, during which they would sometimes take shifts, one praying while the other slept, the man was awoken to what he thought was a dream at first, a bright light shining his face as he was being beaten, but it was not a dream. The bright light was a headlamp worn by the man beating him and swinging a large machete at his head. A group of men for the mosque had come to attack whoever was at the church for that prayer meeting. He even recognized some of those men who came to attack them. So the Tanzanian man, he, he used his arm to try and block the attack, resulting in many injuries from the machete. The man recalled hearing a voice say, take a stone, and he did, and he threw it at the attacker, hitting him in the head, and the attacker fled. But the the Tanzanian believer was severely injured, his left leg nearly severed above the ankle, and he had been stabbed multiple times by another attacker as well. His friend there, praying at the church as well, was beaten too, and he died near the front of the church as he tried to escape into the darkness. Well, this man got away, but recovering in the hospital, the police brought word that one of the attackers was arrested. And he was on the mend, this man at the hospital. The people brought the Christian man food and drink to the hospital. And some of the donors were strangers that the family did not know. And they discovered that some of the donations of sustenance that were found to be poisoned before being given to the the man who was healing. They were the attempts by the relatives of the attackers to finish what the attack had not accomplished. I mean, this guy's life was still in danger. Eventually, for unknown reasons, the man who attacked him was released. And one, one, the one out, once out of the hospital, the Tanzanian believer and his wife would see them around town, but they forgave them as Christ forgave them. Suffering for the name of Jesus is a real thing. Paul told Timothy, "Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." Perhaps where we live, it has not gotten to such a point as the story from Tanzania and other places. But when it comes to being silenced about Jesus, we can say as Peter and John did. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Lord, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior, and his name is worthy of praise and worthy to be proclaimed. Father, give us a new portion of the Holy Spirit so that we can testify of Jesus in all circumstances and in all places, no matter how difficult or challenging. God, protect your people around the world. Those who stand for truth, may they see your divine protection and covering as they proclaim you. And Lord, soften hearts and minds to receive the grace and forgiveness that only comes in Jesus, the matchless name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.